0: What's up, military millionaires? Today's episode is with Aaron Helly, who is an army officer veteran and also a spouse, now full-time spouse, real estate investor, who's had a lot of success in different markets. And this is just a fun episode. And we talk about a lot of things about real estate, but also specifically about how this could be a great job for you as a spouse or for your spouse. And it's just a really cool episode. So definitely check it out. Stay through all the way to the end. And as always, show notes are found at com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military
1: Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing.
0: Hey guys, on this podcast we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310s allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty reserves and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investment. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave and Alex from the Military Millionaire Podcast, and we are here with Aaron Helly, who is a, a ten-year Army veteran, fourteen if you count uh, college and everything else. Who I recently heard on the Bigger Pockets Podcast, and halfway through the. I don't even think the podcast was finished when I shot her a message on Instagram, and then I don't know if she responded, so I shot her a message on LinkedIn too, uh, and eventually got a hold of her, and so we wanted to come, and just awesome to have her on the show. So Aaron, thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit to the audience?
2: Yeah, so I'm Erin Helley. I am an Army vet. I'm an um, Army spouse now and a mom to two little girls and I am a real estate investor. I started investing when I got out of the army about, I guess I got out about three years ago. I've been investing been investing a little over two years, and I started slow. I bought a new construction rental and then got into a really quick and easy flip, and now I'm using um, IRAs to buy multifamilies. I own a 10 unit. I own some short-term rentals, and I just kind of have slowly scaled it and I'm continuing to learn how to leverage what I have and continuing to navigate this ever-changing environment to grow my portfolio and build my legacy.
1: What market are you in, Aaron?
2: Well, I'm in Clarksville, Tennessee, is a lot of my rentals right outside of Fort Campbell. And I'm doing flips in Nashville, also doing flips in San Antonio. Um, potentially some new builds in San Antonio, Texas, and then trying to get into the Fayetteville, North Carolina market.
1: That's my market. Did you know that?
2: I did not know that.
1: Well, you can't come here. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> we actually have um, a courthouse deal we're trying to work through, but the courthouse just closed. So we'll see where that goes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Alex, Alex I, is a huge fan that somebody went on the Bigger Pockets podcast and toted how great their market was. And now it's like, Mm, just everybody and their mother invests there.
1: Oh, and Fable, yeah. I told everybody about, about Fable about two years ago and it yeah. exploded here. I tried um, to avoid
0: using my city name.
1: Yeah, It is, detri- it is, it is definitely it comes with a burden. If you tell people where you invest, and they're like, oh, that sounds good. And then the whole world descends upon it. Although I will say, I don't know about Clarksville, but Nashville is, I mean, nobody, I mean, Nashville has long found out about.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, let me we're this. on the tail end of it now, I think.
1: Yeah, let me ask you this though. Why did you pick those two markets, the two besides Baylor? Why did you pick those? Were you stationed there?
2: So we were living in Tennessee at the time, in Clarksville at the time, and I didn't know anything about markets. I didn't even know that markets were different. Um, I mean, I obviously knew that you could price, you know, home prices varied, but I just didn't even really know how to look at a market. I didn't know how to analyze one, but I just happened to be in a great rental market and I was able to buy a new construction home that cash flows, which blows people's mind. Um, but I started looking at some, some older homes that needed renovations and it just wasn't something I wanted to get into my very first deal. And so I started looking at new builds The numbers just made sense. And I that's really when I learned how powerful the Clarksville market is. And when I told people that I own a new build investment and I just like saw their eyes pop out of their head, I was like, oh, I'm, re- I'm on to something here. Like if I can buy something new and it cash flows, there's there's something to be said about this market. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, the consistent renters um, and then also the low taxes. So I just happened to be in a good place in in Clarksville and that's where it all started. And then... As that kind of slowed down and in the flips, are, we're doing flips in Nashville. Um, we're doing, we're wrapping up two right now. I think that we may slow down there as well, just because the, there's just less deals to be found. You know, there's less, there's less to do now. We're like I said, kind of at the tail end of the growth and now we're, um, everything's kind of leveling out. So it's harder to find deals. And so we started looking in San Antonio. We had a, we have a great team there, a really awesome realtor and an awesome general contractor who. It's going to take us places, you know, like that, those boots on the ground are what has allowed us to, we started in that market in January and we're finishing up three renovations right now.
1: Nice. Yeah. I don't know that much about San Antonio, but boots on the ground, like for, if you're for people who invest long distance, I mean, your team, your team is your lifeline, your contractor, uh, if you do rentals, your property manager, sometimes your realtor, like how you source deals for sure. But yeah, it's good to hear you say that, like your lifeline. I mean, if you're not going to be there, then you need somebody there that really cares about your properties otherwise. Absolutely.
2: Yep. And that's why we've been able to scale San Antonio. We've been trying to get into into Fayetteville for the same amount of time. But like I said, we're just working toward our first deal right now with the courthouse. And that one's just been slower because we don't have the same team on the ground.
1: Yeah. And and Fayetteville has a 10-day upset bid. Um, And well, I don't want to put out too many people's business but there are people in town who will go around and upset bids just to complicate other people's other investors i don't know if you know that
2: i didn't know that but i'm not surprised to hear that
1: yeah so i'm not saying i'm it's, one of those people. i was say, just
0: saying say is that is that an alex felice like
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> someone someone who likes to interject chaos and watch people react seems so right up your alley
1: <laughs> i'm just saying on day nine don't be surprised if they all get upset that's good to know
2: so we put in our first courthouse deal like probably 12 days ago, and we just found out that we got it, and now the courthouse is closed. So I'm not sure how this will play out, but we'll be ready whenever it happens.
0: Yeah, just nice. Just tell them they owe you interest.
2: <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, all right, so Alex looked like he had a question. What's up with the 10 unit?
2: Who the 10 unit, okay, this one's really fun. So we found this um, from, it was an MLS listing, It was sold by an agent. So the agent was the owner. So I was the agent as well as the buyer. So I was able to communicate and negotiate directly with the seller, which, you know, is always nice, um, especially when you're dealing with something distressed. So we came across this property on the MLS, 10-unit property listed for, I want to say like 560 or 570. We ended up, or no. Yeah, I think that was right. We ended up getting it for... 518 after all negotiations. Um, we did the inspection and a lot of stuff came back, which we had, we anticipated was going to happen. And then I used that to negotiate the deal down a little bit. Um, got a, a conventional commercial loan on that property, 20 year adjustable rate mortgage. Um, it'll adjust in 10 years and a decent, a decent, uh, Interest rate five point eight five. It was good at the time, not as good as you know we're talking about right now, but um, a decent interest rate. And we so we bought that and basically have been slowly flipping that whole property. So it's ten separate houses on a wooded lot right outside of Fort Campbell, and it's this cute little like secluded. looks like a campground really. It's these A-framed houses. They have these tin roofs and the whole exterior of the house is the roof. So they look like these little teepees. Um, and so what we've done so far is we've redone four, four and a half of the roofs. We're able to do half a roof at a time. Um, and then we've done like three interiors. And so we're going to do all the roof. We'll do roof and then interior as tenants move out. And we have up to the rent, at like least some of them were paying like six or 625 and it's now 800 or higher. And oh, wow. yeah, and I, so we bought that. We ended up buying it for like 518 and it's probably I would say, and it appraised at 560. But I would say if we got an appraisal today, just a year later, that it would probably be easily worth 800,000 based on what we've put into it and based on the financials now.
1: Nice. What market is that in?
2: That's in Clarksville.
1: Okay. Is that where you guys are stationed? Where are you guys stationed at?
2: Well, now we're actually in Monterey. My husband's going to Naval Postgraduate School um, remotely at the moment, but that's where he's assigned. So we are, uh, we're out in Monterey, which is a great place to be yeah. uh, on lockdown and quarantine. The weather's been pretty great. Um, but we'll go right back there. Uh, my husband came from a, a pretty specialized unit um, at Fort Campbell, and after he's done here, he'll very likely go right back there. So
0: that's cool to be able to while in the military have some stability there's a few the marine corps is not generally like that there's only a few very small communities where you know there's like two or three options and that's it Uh, most of the marine corps is very much all over the place Uh, i don't know how the army is as a whole but i know there's some units in like the air force where they are totally cool with you homesteading for like years like 10 12 15 years that's like almost a career ender in the Marine Corps to stay in one place yeah. that long. But I think it's really cool if you can have some kind of stability like that while, you know, I because mean, I always joke with people like, Oh, you're a investor in the while well, in the military. Are you a, are you a long distance real estate investor yet? Like, what do you mean? Like yep. oh, <laughs> you're still active duty at some point, whether you like it or not, you're gonna be long distance. Yep. Um so yeah. you give me that
1: look. <laughs> Go on with your bad self.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the next question that I had for you, which kind of leads into something we wanted to talk about anyway, is now that you're doing this as a spouse, what are your thoughts as far as like, what are some advantages, disadvantages to being a essentially full-time real estate investor as a spouse, as opposed to, uh, you know, I I mean, I've written a, a couple articles. In fact, I actually probably the most flack I ever got on an article was I wrote an article about finding a job, like how you know, best jobs for spouses. Um, cause my wife had a lot of struggles with that at one point and I got a whole bunch of flack about how I can't talk about that cause I'm not a spouse. But, uh, <laughs> that being said, I, I recognize that there are limitations. Like if you're a lawyer, you may have an issue getting a, a law firm job because no matter how overeducated you are, that's not a career. Someone wants to hire you for six months or two years. Like, so I guess my question would just be like, how does, how does, being a spouse play into the real estate investing career? What are your thoughts on all that?
2: Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. <laughs> I do know that um, the unemployment rate for military spouses is like 16% and the underemployment rate is higher than 20%. So those are alarming statistics. You know, They're talking right now about like implications of coronavirus with um, unemployment being as high as 20% and it's like Unheard of, but that's our reality all the time. Whether or not we're dealing with a global pandemic, so that really puts that into perspective. And the reason for that is, you just like we just talked about, you move around a lot. Um, employers usually figure out that you're military, and whether you can tell them you're staying or not, they they usually can put it together. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to find the right jobs in the right area, and it's it is a full time job just to find a job. So a lot of spouses. Don't even find it it worth their time to pursue a job when they're only going somewhere for a year, or 18 months. It just doesn't always make sense. And then coupling the cost of childcare on that, if you especially if you're underemployed and you're not making the money that you could be making, but you're still paying a ton in childcare and then you're not being fulfilled, it's like, what's the point? So anyway, I think that this being a, a real estate investor. Is ideal for the military spouse, and I think that for multiple reasons. Um, for one, you're you're an entrepreneur, right? You're running you're running your own business, which can be a little bit scary getting into. But we have such a great thing to fall back on in terms of our how, our sp- our spouses' um, consistent and reliable income, and then the benefits. You know, so I when I decided to put so much into investing and really risk a lot and, and get into a lot of these properties, I didn't have to worry about paying for healthcare. I didn't have to worry about my family being on the streets because we separated, you know, we lived off of my husband's income and then we set we set some money aside to invest in the business and to invest in real estate. And it's it's been great. So we know that no matter how bad things get, it doesn't affect our day to day lives. So I think that we're at a really a good advantage and that sense as a military spouse, because we have those playing in our favor. And then also um, this is something you can totally do from home and not saying it's going to be easy. It's, it's total chaos. Um, A lot of times. And when I first started out, I didn't have any childcare because I wasn't making any money to pay for childcare. And now it's, it's a different story. I have part-time childcare and can justify that expense, but it, it was still worth it in the beginning for me to be building something that maybe only paid a little bit at the time, but I know that our future will look so much better because of the work that I put in two years ago and over the last couple of years. So, and it also scales, but when you scale it and when you continue to build your income, the time requirement doesn't continue to build as well. So it's not like you, if you own three properties, you're now working three times the amount as if you owned one. It just doesn't work like that. So you can scale it, but still give yourself that same time flexibility, if that makes sense.
0: Makes perfect sense. I, I mean, you hit on some very key points there. So the, the biggest issue that my wife had was she's in a fairly specialized field and to it was a competitive job field to get a job in. And if you do find a job, people know you're going to leave or whatever. So, you know, and I had talked to her about trying to find an online Way to earn income, something that you can move with you, and I think that's one of the beauties of real estate is that you can absolutely do it from anywhere in the world, given that you have internet and you can do it on your schedule. So if you need to, you know, if when the kids are still asleep or or napping or whatever, like there there are some ways to try to mitigate the uh, chasing kids around while negotiating real estate deals. But I think a lot of that that freedom to be able to do that, I think that's huge. Uh, especially because I mean, sitting around the house, not having a job is, is not good for anybody's mental health. So you got to do something with your life. Um, so also, I wonder,
1: I wonder if, um, sorry, David, uh, I wonder, no, <laughs> I wonder go. if, uh, you mentioned he's, he's uh, not sorry. I'm not, I wonder <laughs> if, um, what you mentioned was like the money is slow at first. And I think that deters a lot of people, um, from real estate. They can't see it, right? You're like, hey, look, you're going to make $200 a door per month on these properties. And you're like, $200 a door for that kind of risk or that kind of debt doesn't seem worth it. Um, but I, I like that you brought up like, hey, man, what if you get three or four of these things. And well, now if you had five at $200 a door, now you're at $1,000 a month. and Now it starts to make sense. Well, what if you get 20? You know, yeah. um, and it really starts to scale that way, it, yeah. but it doesn't uh, lend itself to the traditional, you know, I think a lot of the army wives get into selling sensi or selling makeup and these things that are. A little uh maybe get rich quick it's definitely it's the opposite of the get rich quick scheme and so i like that you say hey look i can stay home i can be a i can invest my time into this and yeah it has a slow payback period but it has a tremendous payback period over time
2: yeah and the power is in is in the value of your portfolio in the long term you know it's in that equity it's not it's definitely not in the cash flow in the beginning um but once you pay off your mortgages and once you're debt free when you, when your husband's ready to retire and you can retire off these rentals too, like you're talking about big money at that point and you're talking about significant life change. And so I think that, and the other thing for me is like, when you have these goals of like that are future specific and future oriented, it makes being disciplined in the moment that much easier. Um, and it makes that sort of sacrifice that much easier. Easier to kind of wrap your head around, and I I think that some women, and I I speak for women because I'm a a woman, but obviously men can be can stay at home with the kids too. But um, some women can stay at home just fine, Um, but a lot of women can't. And I think there's um, it's you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, is because if you I get all the time like, oh, you're you're just a stay at home mom or and then I get the opposite where it's like, you're working, like your poor kids are going to suffer because of that. So it's, you can't listen to what other people are going to say because you can't ever do it right. You need to do what's right for you. And I tried to be a stay-at-home mom when I first got out of the military and I was, I was terrible. I was miserable. I had a hard time transitioning out of the military. I had also became a mom around the same time. My husband was deployed and I was hanging out at home with a kid who couldn't talk. And it was really hard. And I, I definitely... Dealt with a lot of stuff during that time, and finding my network, getting connected again through real estate with like-minded people, and then also having something to work toward was everything to me. And it has made me a better wife. It has made me a better spouse. And oh, by the way, I'm now creating something that will be great to hand off to my kids, and will give us a great uh, retirement and you know be able to really enjoy their teenage years because that's when it's really going to matter.
0: Woo! We'll be back with the show in just a minute, but I wanted to take a brief second and say that, look, you are already obviously investing in yourself by listening to this podcast. But if you can't figure out how to get past all that daunting crap that you just don't know how to sort through and you're trying to get started in real estate investing and you're just stuck, I I mean, it happens to all of us. It's daunting. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know everything there is to know. And you don't know really where to find all the information. So that is why I created the real estate investing for beginners zero to one course, which is solely designed to get you from, I want to invest in real estate to Holy crap. I have a rental and it's cash flowing. And this course is not going to be anything super complicated that you won't be able to understand. It is just designed to teach you how to build a team, find investments, finance investments, Conduct due diligence, close on the investment, and then operate it so that you can enter the real estate investing world smoothly. So if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely check out the link below and it's cheap as hell right now i I would say there is a lot of subjective judgment. I think that it's interesting that you brought that up for spouses you're You're right, damned if you do damned if you don't is super true if you my wife wasn't working when we first got to Hawaii, definitely got some some flack at some points. And she started working, and then there's some more flack at other points. It's just like you can't win, right? With with guys, yeah. it's it's funny because it's like if you're not working, you're a turd. But if you are working, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Like that's kind of the stigma. It's totally different on the on the flip if, side.
1: If, if you don't have a job, you're a sucker, and if, you're, you're you're lazy. And if you do have a job, you're a sucker. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny about that is with is yeah. with
0: the exception of people like Alex who like turmoil, uh, the real estate <laughs> community in general is like probably one of the most supporting communities I know. I don't run, I don't know that I've ever gone to a conference and had, well, anyone other than Alex tell me that I'm an <laughs> idiot at the conference. Um,
2: <laughs> well, but hang on, hang hang on. Trying to keep on, you grounded.
1: Me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. No, but I mean, yeah, even, we'll but
0: like, no matter what strategy you use, even if you're totally different, it's usually from a standpoint of like, Oh, well that's interesting. Let me hear how yeah. you're doing that, right? It's not yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's obviously ways that are less successful or we disagree with, but I've never had anyone in a conference or at a networking event or anything sit me down and be like, "You are an idiot. What the hell are you doing? Why don't you try it my way?" And so I think that's kind of cool that you can tap into a community like that, which to me, at yeah. my personal experience, is a very positive and generally uplifting community.
2: Yeah. And I think that's because like that once you get into real estate, I think before you get in and before you get under your first deal, you're like, there's so much competition. There's no way I can compete. These people have money and they have time and they have resources. How am I supposed to compete with that? And it's such a bad attitude. And I know that because I was a victim of that attitude for years and it, it deterred me from taking any kind of action. And now I know we're not competing against each other. Like as long as there are people living on this earth and as long as people are putting roofs over their head, there's going to be plenty of deals to go around. And I think that people who are in real estate, especially ones that are doing well, they have that mindset and that attitude of abundance. They don't look at each other as, as competition, but rather we look at each other. We, we look to each other for those creative ideas and for also like to elevate your game, you know, I love talking about other two other people and hearing their strategies. And especially when I hear about them being successful, I'm, I'm super competitive. So I have that little like twinge of like, Oh, that makes me jealous, but I want in a way that makes me want to go after it too. And, but I don't, you know, it's not like I would hold it against them or think that I need to drag them down in order to be successful. I would rather just grab onto their coattails and let them pull me along, you know?
1: The people who are most negative, in my experience, and I'm extrapolating from my personal experience, the people who are most negative about real estate are those who don't own it. Exactly. The people that have always told me, oh, real estate, you know, tenants are paying, pain. They don't pay. They don't take care of your place. You got to do this. Toilets, you know, 2 a.m. phone calls. I'm like, I don't deal with any of that. Zero of that. I don't know how. And then you ask them, like, how do you, why are you dealing with those problems? They're like, well, I don't buy real estate. So I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> exactly. My uncle told me.
0: It's funny you say that. So I dabbled in various... I would say I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit. Not that I really did anything with it, but I've always been had ideas. Right. And I got, I struggled with getting shot down. All my ideas always got shot down for years. And I think the reason I finally, and I, I did some of them anyway, but the reason I think I finally jumped in with both feet into real estate is when I was bringing up what I was thinking of doing, I did not have anybody in my sphere of influence that told me it was a bad idea. I had a couple of people that said, Oh, you're going to have to deal with this, you know, But even then they were like, yeah, you can make good money in it. Like that was probably the first time I'd ever had an idea like, oh, this is my idea of what I want to do, where the feedback I got general consensus was, yeah, that's smart. Maybe not that way or maybe not this part, but I I didn't have anyone like, you know, I I talked about individual stock market and people were whatever. That's not everybody's strategy, but uh, there were various things throughout life that I'd Basically, let people talk me out of, which (laughs) might have been for the best. But, but I think that was kind of the like sounding board for me. Was like, oh man, these same people have nothing but great things to say about real estate. Hmm. I I agree.
2: Yeah. Everybody
1: told me real estate was a bad idea. That's how I knew I had to do it.
2: (laughs) Just out of (laughs) sight.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, and I think kind of like what you're talking about. It's because there's so you can. I've never been told no by a title company. Like I'll. I'll try to come up with a solution to get my foot in the door and come up with this crazy off the wall idea. Like, for example, I own a property in my self-directed IRA that's partnered. My traditional IRA is partnered with my Roth IRA and I own a property in my self-directed IRA. And it's, it's just so a crazy situation. Like, first of all, people don't know you can buy properties in your IRA. But you can, and there's lots of things you can do with a self directed IRA. And then I didn't have enough money to cover the property that I wanted in my traditional, but if I brought my Roth into it, I was able to put that together. And it's it's cr- like I'm literally partnered with myself on a, on a property. Um, and so when you're willing to think outside the box and put deals together, that's where the growth happens. You know, there's there's only so much you can do with the cash that comes in. Like once you, whether you have a W2 job or 1099 job or you already have a bunch of rentals, there is a limit to that cash flow, right? But you you can leverage that in so many ways and so many different strategies and combinations of strategies to continue to build your portfolio. And what I tell people all the time is don't worry about the money, like think creatively and have a goal and move toward it. And you're going to figure it out. I, I don't really know how to explain that further than like, I just keep finding the money to buy real estate.
1: How much do you spend? How much time do you spend on your network though? Because the money's going to come, if you don't have any money, then the money has to come from the network. And so every I day. agree with your, I agree yep. with every day.
2: Every day. I,
1: yep. I agree with that position. Like if you find the deals, then the money will work out. But in some ways, I just want to push back on that a little bit because it's like if you go out there and you find the deal and you don't know anybody, like it's not going to show up. You have, it's, it takes both. You have to yeah. have some little bit of you know, seeds planted. It's like, hey, if I do find a deal, might you be interested? And, and a lot of those, um, depending on how you finance it at least, so that when you come up with the deal, it's not like, oh, by the way, I do real estate now. Do you want to give me a bunch of money for it? Um, but I do agree with your overall premise. If you find good deals and you find solutions, like people pay for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, for me, that I build the network every single day. My number one KPI every day is to network um, and to continue to build that base and and to share with people what I'm doing because that's that's networking right there. You know, just telling people what you're up to and planting seeds because sometimes I'll have to talk to somebody eight or ten times before they're like, you know what, like that might be something that I'm interested in. It might take them a while to come around or whatever, but. Yeah, you're right. You have to build that network. And that's something that takes time and takes deliberate effort.
0: I read your article on KPIs this morning, by the way, while I was on duty.
2: Yeah, I just wrote that because when I, we kind of just ended up talking about that on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I wasn't really prepared to. And, What people have been asking me about since that podcast was released is KPIs. Then they're like, can you develop KPIs for me? I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. You got to figure out what your goals are. You got to figure out what's getting you to your goals and set them from there. But for me, like my goals are just to generally continue to grow this and scale this. And so the number one way that I can do that is to build my network every day.
0: Since we brought it up or I brought it up or you brought it up however that came up could you just briefly expound on what a KPI is and maybe like a one minute synopsis of the the idea just because I'm sure somebody listening to this has never heard that acronym before
2: yeah so a KPI is a key performance indicator and it's basically just a metric that measures like your output and it's a way to basically bridge the gap from what you're doing to your goals so you need to make sure that what your, your actions are actually contributing to your goals. And the only way to know that is if you measure the data and you keep track of it. Like you might think that analyzing 10 properties every day is gonna to lead to getting a property every quarter, but it's not, you, you have to make offers, right? So the KPI is making offers, it's not analyzing properties. So you have to make sure that the indicator that you're measuring is actually contributing to the end state. And I think that's what people, there's just kind of usually a missing piece in there.
1: That's How do you creepy. set up KPIs for networking?
2: So for me, um, like every Wednesday, one of the things that I do is just reach out to all the podcasters that I know about and ask if I can be on their show. Um, that's a Wednesday thing. And then the, the rest of them reached out to what's that?
0: <laughs> I had to find you.
2: <laughs> well, I honestly, I have not done that since the bigger pockets podcast. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that because I was able to knock off my KPI because and so the other thing I found out is, well, at least pre bigger Pockets, it would take me like three requests or three like applications to get one accepted. So I knew that every Wednesday, if I wanted to, re- to record a podcast or at least schedule a podcast every week, because you can't, we'll go, we'll go to that in a second, but to, to schedule a podcast every week, I'd ask three people. So now my KPIs are probably different. It's probably two to one or maybe every person I ask might say yes now. But the other thing you got to realize is the KPI isn't scheduled podcasts because I have no control over whether or not somebody wants me on their podcast. The KPI is podcast applications or podcast requests. So I can control how many of those I do, how many people I ask, but I can't control how many people actually invite me to be on their show.
0: Yeah, the, the best way I had it explained to me when I first heard about KPIs, and this might, I don't know, maybe this resonates to some guys who are out there, girls who did recruiting duty, is a, as a recruiter, we have to track at, at your numbers every 90 days, and it comes down to how many people do you have to meet in public to write a contract, how many people do you have to call to write a contract, and how many people do you have to have an appointment with, and how many of those appointments turn into, you know, like we track everything. And so it was literally just think of it as if you know you take 45 phone calls to get an interview and you need 10 interviews, then you got to make 4,500 or 450 phone calls this month. And whether that results in the 10 interviews or not, you know, this is what I, you know, anyway, so I don't yeah. know. maybe that yeah. helps someone, maybe not for the record analysis. Cl-
1: so like I have a closing ratio of say 10%, 5% for all the deals that I put offers in. I get, if I, I put, I have to put 20 offers in to get one close. And so I know that I have a 5% close ratio. So like you said earlier, it's like, well, that means if I need a deal, that means I'd be putting in 20 offers a week, 20 offers a month to get one deal. Um, and then you adjust as, you know, it's like, oh, that time yeah. it took me 25. That time it took me 30.
2: Yeah. Well, um, and typically you get better. So you're, you know, you are you should get more productive, especially if you're keeping track and improving. And then the other thing is to even take that one step further back. So, you know, you have to put in, 20 offers, but how many properties do you have to look at to even find those 20 to offer on?
1: Yeah. 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 Regression analysis. Yeah. I I like this. This is, this is, this is how uh, you should be. Well, David said it with recruiting and it's the same way in all sales. It's like, I don't start with, you start with how many do you need to sell, but then you go from my closing ratio. And so it's the samey same. So if I have a 5% closing ratio, that means I got to talk to 20 people. Or whatever that may be. I mean I have to put twenty offers in, which means I probably have to look at a hundred deals.
0: Yep. Right. Yeah, it's the, the good old lapse funnel if we're gonna if Brandon Turner ever listens to this, that'll make him happy that I just referenced that.
2: <laughs> yeah, funnel, that's a great way to look at it too. Yeah.
0: I thought you were gonna ask something there. I was like nope, waiting on it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I, I guess I would probably just roll into the. Uh, my next question would would be if a if a E one E two was to walk up to you uh, looking for advice, you know, and you had just a few minutes to talk to them, what would you tell them about whether life, real estate, whatever?
2: Yeah, so I think that the the thing that I would tell people first is figure out what you want your future to look like. Figure out what it is that you're working for and you're working toward, and get a really clear definition of that. And from there, figure out where you are right now and bridge the gap. You know, come up with a plan to go from where you are now to where you want to go, no matter what it is that you're trying to pursue. But if you don't have a really clear picture of your future and what you're working toward, you're never going to accomplish it for one. And you're probably just going to get discouraged and quit whenever something gets hard. So I think that anybody is capable of anything that they wrap their head around. You know, the, the mind is a very powerful thing. But if you don't know what that is, then your mind can't work toward it, um, consciously or subconsciously. So I think getting really clear on your goals, um, and getting really honest with yourself is step one. And then step two is figuring out exactly where you are right now. You know, do your own financial snapshot and figure out how you go from where you are now to where you want to go.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's so simple. And so many people just don't do it. And it's like, I mean, you said it, how can you know where you're going? Well, If you don't know, if you don't really know where you want to go and you don't know where you're at now, that's why people buy cars. They're like, eh, I have no plan and this Camaro looks good. So (laughs) let's just get Um, dead. But if you had a plan, you're like, look, I love that Camaro, but it's not part of my plan. And I really want to get this thing over here. And like you said earlier, it's like, man, if I can just accumulate $3 million of real estate and then hang on, I can have all the Camaros I want.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and like I was saying before, it's way easier to be disciplined when you have a big goal. Like if you knew you wanted a $3 million portfolio and that came down to this $17,000 used car or this $65,000 Camaro, but they're both going to give you the same, you know, the same things that you need. It's, it's easy to make that decision.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yep, yeah. I'm a uh, I guess a, a true story with that. Cause I sold my race car two years ago. So
1: you had a race car. What kind of race car did you have?
0: Uh, you know, we can talk about that when you're not going to just belittle <laughs> me on a recording. <laughs> no, so I the so I had, a, I had a two, Civic. One. No, it was a it was a S2000. I had a Honda S2000 that I turned oh, cool garage. Car. So turboed, racing suspension, all kinds of fun stuff. It was a project. It was a good car. And you drove around an S2000 with that mustache. I didn't have the mustache on recruiting duty, but I did okay. I did elect to drive the S2000 in my dress blues to high schools rather than the government little Chevy Malibu. And I would always park right in front of the school and have the interview at the end of the day so that when the school let out, all the kids would have to see me sitting on my red convertible turbocharged car in my dress blues.
2: There's your KPI you right there.
0: <laughs> and then the army recruiters would wonder why nobody wanted to enlist out of their school. And I'm like, you showed up in a Dodge caravan. <laughs>
1: And then you wonder why guys get in and buy race cars.
0: Hey, hey, I wasn't providing financial advice yet. That was when I was buying my first property. I still owned the race car. I wasn't, wasn't quite, this was after I totaled my Harley and was like, oh, new car, race car. Aaron, what kind
1: of, Aaron? what kind of car do you drive?
2: I don't drive a car.
1: Oh
0: my God.
2: <laughs> no, so we're in a very unique situation out here in Monterey. My husband rides his bike to school. School is like a mile away. So we are actually sharing his, F-150 right now, um, which basically is mine and the girls. um, And he rides his bike to school and everything else we do, we do together. So we decided um, when we moved out here, well, first of all, we didn't want to drive two cars across the country, um, especially because our daughter was like seven months old when we drove out here. And then and the Army will either pay for you to drive one or ship one. They won't pay for two. So we would have had to ship the second one out of pocket. And I was like, by the time we do that and ship it back – we might as well just sell it. And so I sold it and I bought a property with the $17,000 I got back from my car. Um, and and then when I'm done here, I, I, I just like a reliable car but I'll buy something used. So I'll pay cash for it um, and it'll just be functional and in good shape and that's all I really care about.
0: Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I drive a, a functional car that I got for a steal. I think like five to six years old is like the money maker. Uh, anyway, that could be a whole nother conversation so <laughs> uh what kind of what what would be if you had to recommend like one resource a book podcast website, whatever for anybody looking to get started in real estate, what would you lean towards?
2: I think anyone getting started should probably focus on the mindset piece of it. I think that there's a lot of books out there that um you can read once you figure out where you're trying to go um but I, you know, I wouldn't want to encourage someone to read a property about flipping houses if they want to build a long-term portfolio. So I think like real estate-specific stuff can come later. I think what's more important is the mindset piece of it and wrapping your head around getting ready to take some risk and, and pursue something big. So I would say um, any of Jen Sincero's mindset books are like Gary Vaynerchuk's mindset books.
0: I'm not familiar with Jen Sinchiro, what's uh, she wrote, she wrote Girl, wash your face.
2: No, 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 uh, no, no. Oh, that's Rachel Hollis.
0: <laughs> don't get are Alex sure? started on self help, but
2: she, sure? yeah, I've read that one too. But that's a there's, a there's some good mindset stuff in there. She's a Christian author. It. Um, but no, Jen Sinchiro does the badass ones, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Um, and then I think the other one's like, You Are a Badass. She's a couple other oh. ones, but those are the two that I read. But You Are a Badass at Making Money is something I plan to read every year. Uh, she's just, she she just talks about make like wrapping your head around realizing what your worth is and making that money happen for you basically. Um, so no matter what it is that you do, I think that that book is productive.
0: Awesome. Cool. Um, so before we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to add? Any parting advice or big ideas?
2: I just, I just say get after it. You know, don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. If I can do it, anybody can. If I can do it, you know, I started this thing off with, I think, a two-year-old, a deployed husband, and I was pregnant at the time. Um, so, it, the odds were in my head stacked against me, and it was a huge decision to get into it. But I am so glad I did, and I'll never look back. And I have a very different perspective on life and on money and on, you know, taking control of my future. So just. Get out there and get after it.
0: Awesome. And where can people get a hold of you?
2: Yeah. So I am um, on Instagram at the Aaron Helly and I'm on Facebook as well, the Aaron Helly. And uh, my website is bcglobalinvestments.com. And then you can email me at Aaron at bcglobalinvestments.com.
1: Nice. Aaron, you're the absolute best.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: If, if what is you, that face for? If you guys are watching the video and you saw my reaction there, you you know just how much that should mean. Oh, God. <laughs> Alex, no, I say compliments. To everybody, don't worry about it. Don't get no, excited. Alex I say says to nice things.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you need
0: to let that go to your head. That doesn't. Aaron, are you going to go to I
2: I hope to. I haven't planned anything yet. We just canceled two trips and. Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope we all go. I guess if it happens, I'll be there.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. If it happens, I'll be there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I guess if it's so not passive, ha- right? if it's virtual, I'll be you there should as be well. Be there
0: anyway, Alex.
1: <laughs> if it's virtual, I'm not going.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you Do like virtual networking, like hey. No. <laughs> Actually, supposedly there's software where you can like. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Yeah. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.